The reading is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Thank you, Jill. Let's pray together. Father, we've got a terrific verse for the year, and we pray, Lord, you'd help us to understand this, uh, to work out what it means for us day by day. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, our verse for the year, this year, uh, do again pick up one of these cards at the back. God, our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, that's clear what God wants, isn't it? Uh, God wants all people to be saved. And uh, because it is that clear, that must change our behavior. But we can't just say, God wants all people to be saved. Nice, nice. And just carry on as if you know, nothing had happened, and as if we'd never heard that. Uh, God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. But in order to understand this, we've really got to go back a bit. So you've got to go back at least to the beginning of the chapter, and then we're also going to find we've got to go back to the first chapter of 1 Timothy in order to understand this. Now, uh, let me ask you a question. What do you do when you, when you walk down the road? And what can you do, uh, say, when you watch the news on a television or listen to it on the radio? What do you do when you remember back to those days when the MX had, uh, whatever it is, 28,000 people in it? What do you do when you see a plane flying overhead? You do see them still, occasionally. What do you do when uh, you see people walking into the church building or queuing at the bus stop out there? Well, the answer to all those questions could be the same. You could pray for them. So people at the bus stop, you could pray for them one by one by one. You could, as you see a bus go by, you could pray for the people, a couple of people seated on the top deck, pray for them. You see a plane going by uh, when it's not cloudy and so on, but you see a plane going by and you could pray for them. You pray for the individuals there, pray for the crew and so on. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 is saying this, just simply this. Pray for everyone you can. Pray for everyone you can. Pray for everyone you can, in fact, because God wants everyone saved. Now, it's no bad way to start a new year, actually. If you're, if you're a kind of person who, has a, uh, who likes to make New Year's resolutions, for instance, um, if you want a slightly late one, then this wouldn't be a bad one. To pray for everyone you can. To pray for everyone you can, because God wants everyone saved. 
So there's two main points this morning, and uh, they're on uh, here. Pray for everyone you can. That's going to be the first one. Here we are. Pray for everyone you can, and a couple of sub-points here. It's of primary importance, and it pleases God. That's why we're going to do it. That's why we need to pray for everyone we can. So back in verse 1 of, uh, of uh, Tim- 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge then, first of all, that's the first important bit, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. How can you possibly pray for all people? When it seems to me probably, if you set out to pray for everyone in the world, you would never get anywhere near praying for everyone in the world, because I would guess that there are more people being prayed, uh, being born, than, than that you could pray for, in terms of doom, doom, doom and so on. Was it 7 billion and, and counting at the moment? And, uh, uh, and, and uh, unless you decided to have some kind of very broad and generalistic way of doing it. So, uh, Lord, I pray for, uh, please would you bless China? Well, you could do it that way, but it, it's, uh, it seems a bit broad somehow, doesn't it? But let's not forget, first of all, that when, when he says here, uh, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. So we're thinking here particularly about praying for people. And then it seems to me, uh, actually goes off on a bit of a tangent. So he uh, pray for, uh, um, be made for all people. And then he thinks, okay, uh, so for instance, first on my list of examples, for kings. And we'll come to that in uh, in a little bit. For kings and all those in authority. um, uh, And then he goes on and talks more about that. So it's as if what we've got here is a little bit of a sidetrack. And he could, have, he could have said for kings, for teachers, for NHS workers, for ministers, for bus drivers, for postmen or whatever. But he, he, he does, it's effectively saying, and some people think that, that the understanding of praying for all people is just praying about different groups of people. And he's given one there and then he got sidetracked off. And that's, I'm sure that's right. It's a good thing to pray for all sorts of people, all strata of people, all groupings of people. That's a really good uh, principle and a really good thing to work on. But actually, I think that is certainly true. But it seems to me it's more likely to be a bit wider than that. So as we pray for people, let's just simply pray for everyone we can. So it will be praying for groups of people like, uh, you know, schools, teachers, school children. Those who, those who work in the schools, you know, the, the uh, TAs and the cooks and so on. And especially after these next two weeks, for those specifically for the people who make decisions about that. In our council here in Brighton, and for our politicians, of course, more widely. And that, that we can, as far as we can and we know them, we pray for them by name. But as a more general thing, why not pray for people who we pass as we walk to school, if we're taking children to school? in a couple of weeks' time, or whatever it's going to be. How about praying for everyone you saw in Liddles a couple of days ago? Why not, as you go around Waitrose, say, why not actually pray for people you pass in the aisle, for the people on the checkout, for the, per- the person who's on the basket counter there at the end, the person who's there just as you go in to the left of where the flowers are and so on, and Waitrose and all the rest of it. Why not pray for those people? Now, by the way, back in chapter 1, it seems that Timothy and his church in Ephesus have got a bit of a problem with some false teachers who claim that you have to have a special knowledge of God 
in order to kind of qualify for being saved. And the whole principle was, let's really narrow this down. So to be saved, we're just going to have a few people will be saved. And in order to be saved, to qualify for that special group of people who are going to be saved, you've got to have a special knowledge, and we will be able to teach that to you. But the underlying thing here is that we're elitist. It is just a few people. Just a few. Huge numbers who don't qualify to be saved, but you can be one of the special ones chosen if you've got this special knowledge which we can teach you. And a lot of people having a, a, a big say in, uh, in, in where Timothy was, in Ephesus, about that. But by contrast, Paul, as he writes this letter to Timothy, is saying, no, that's just not right. In fact, that's desperately offensive. Because the truth of the matter is that God wants everyone to be saved everyone absolutely everyone to be saved there's no kind of special knowledge there's no elitism about this when it comes to christianity it's for everyone every single person on the planet every single person who's ever lived every single person who was being born god wants everyone saved And therefore, because God wants everyone saved, we want to pray for everyone we can. I'll explain why as we go through. And the first thing you see here is a primary importance. Verse 1, first of all. In other words, what he's saying, look, guys, this is really important. This is is the thing I want. You've got to get into your brains, okay? We want to pray for everyone we can. We want a great breadth to our prayers, And in verse 1 there, you see it says uh, uh, petitions, prayers, intercessions. We're not terribly sure actually what the differences are between those when you look at the original words. It doesn't matter, he's just saying pray. It's clearer when he talks about Thanksgiving. But he's saying here, we've got to pray. Pray, 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 just pray. And pray for people, pray for everyone you can. It's really important. It's a primary importance. If you don't do anything else, pray. If you don't do anything else apart from praying, pray for people. This is, you can't be more involved in the purposes of God on this planet than to pray. I mean, just stop and think for a moment. What do you think the world would be like if the church prayed properly? In what way do you think this world would be different if the church prayed properly? And in what ways ought ought we to be on our knees confessing our sins for the fact that we haven't prayed properly? Pray for everyone you can. And of course, that includes, first example, for kings. I doubt there would have been other examples in Paul's mind, but he goes off, I think, on a bit of a tangent. But pray for kings and for all those in authority. I think that's quite impressive because at the time, there wasn't a single Christian king on the planet. And Paul is part of the Roman Empire. And he writes this in the time when Nero was the emperor. And Nero had a nasty habit of using Christians as candles for his dinner parties. First thing that comes to mind as you're praying for people, pray for kings, pray for Nero, pray for your persecutor. Let's pray for all these people who we can. And he says, 
Pray therefore for those who run the country, that, they, that you may have a good and a peaceful country, free from strife and able to exercise our religion. Uh, if you have a look in verse 2 there, he says um, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. The godliness word means meeting together. It's, it's religious devotion. It means church in our language. Which is why it's a, it's a big thing that church has been disrupted by COVID. We want to pray that we would be able to meet together. And okay, we've got looking down, I'm looking down the camera lens at the moment as well. Uh, but we want to be able to get back together again properly and fully, don't we? And to sing. And to enjoy being able to talk to each other rather than having to say the most godly thing is not and the most loving thing is not to talk to each other in the building today. We look forward to that day when we're back together again. So we pray for those who run our country. And, uh, and the thing we need to pray for is this. Pray that Boris would be a compost maker would be a compost maker. Yeah, would be a gardener who is a compost maker. He's talk, uh, what Paul is saying here is we need our political leaders to run the country in such a way that the ground is fertile ground for the gospel. Pray for our political leaders that they would be compost makers, that the place would be a good place for, hear, for people to hear the gospel. And generally speaking, the Bible says, actually, that means peace and quiet and organization and so on on our planet, on our, in our country, etc. Pray for Joe Biden as he is inaugurated on the 20th of January, that he would be a compost maker, that the USA and for the influence he has on other countries in this world would be places where the ground is fertile for the gospel. That's what we need to pray for our political leaders. And we pray because the second thing there, you see, it pleases God. Look at verse 3. This is good and pleases God, our Saviour. So pray for everyone you can. It's a good thing to do. It pleases God. You know, just think, say you're sitting on a bus going to Churchill Square. Let's, let's imagine COVID's really cleared up and there are people on buses again, okay? And on the way there. So use the time well. Start off, well, why not pray for everyone on the bus with you? Why not pray as you pass the church? There's this notice board there. It says who the minister is. Pray for her. Pray for the people who go to that church. As you continue down, there are people on the pavement. Why not pray for them? And you see a homeless person over there, so you pray for him. You arrive at Churchill Square. There are crowds of people there again. It's open. And we can pray for them. Pray for everyone you can that they would hear the gospel in 21, that some would become Christians because they've heard the gospel in 21. And then an ambulance goes by. And as I regularly do, join me in praying for the, the crew, for the person who's in it or the person who's being collected, for the A&E department, for the people who'd be treating them, for the recovery and everything like that. Pray for the people. And a fire engine goes, goes the other way and you pray for the crew there and the situation they're going to and so on. Pray for everyone you can. And you know what? It's that kind of praying pleases God, our Saviour. And especially as we pray that people would hear the gospel and they'd find out about Jesus. So it's got an implication as well for our speaking, doesn't it? 
Jim Elliott, the uh, American missionary guy who, with a number of his friends, went to the, uh, I think it was Ecuador, wasn't it, the northern part of South America, and he died. He lost his life taking the gospel there. But he, uh, he said this once uh, in a prayer, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. So pray for everyone you can. It's a primary importance. It pleases God. It's a good thing to do. And then the second thing is this. We do that because God wants everyone saved. And again, two little sub-points here. That's about knowing God personally and also knowing God's method. Pray for everyone you can because God wants everyone saved. And there's a real focus on salvation here, isn't there? He's talking about God, our Savior, who wants all people saved. Now, it's all wrapped up in this one word, isn't it? Being saved. Now, I think uh, there'll be a certain number of you will be thinking, hang on, we've got a bit of a theological issue going on here, haven't we? I'm sure some people are thinking, hang on, God is sovereign, right? He can do anything he wants, okay? And he wants all people saved, but they're not, are they? So how does that work out? Surely then he either doesn't actually want everyone saved or he's not a sovereign God. You can't really have both, can you? Well, the first thing to say is that Paul is writing to a bunch of people, as we mentioned, who are being really exclusive. And they're saying, salvation is just this little bunch here, but not for everyone else. And he's saying, that's not true. That's not the God who loves this world, who sent Jesus to die for us. That just is not true. So this is a corrective. He's opening wide the doors of salvation. The second thing is to remember that there's a difference between what God wills and what God wants. If God wills something, it will happen. But God is great enough so that there are some things he wants, but they don't happen commentator writing about this said this and to say that God wants not wills and therefore must come to pass all people to be saved implies neither that all meaning everyone will be saved nor that God's will is somehow frustrated since all indeed are not saved the concern is simply with the universal scope of the gospel over against some form of heretical exclusivism or narrowness The gospel offer is there for all people. And some are tragically excluded from heaven because they exclude themselves when they reject that gospel offer. And never forget, God wants everyone saved. And we want to therefore pray for everyone we possibly can. And we'll want to take those opportunities to speak to everyone we possibly can. And in doing so, we know we're pleasing God as we pray and as we talk. Because we know that we're walking in line with his will. In my early days as a Christian, I was, uh, I was really encouraged to hear from a friend about a friend of his who had become a Christian uh, while at university. 
And then this guy who had become a Christian while at university decided that he would set about praying for his family who weren't believers themselves. So he started praying for them specifically. And then over the following years, his mum became a Christian. And then his brother became a Christian. Then his sister became a Christian. Then his dad became a Christian. And then some of his friends became Christians. And then some of his friends' friends became Christians. As he kept on praying, doggedly determined, never give up. It took years. It took years, but he kept on going and never give up. Why would we never give up? Because God wants everyone saved. And what's it mean to be saved? Well, it is that point there. It's about knowing God personally. Look at the end of verse 4. Who wants all people to be saved, and then as if by way of explanation of that, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But this is not just head knowledge. It's not just knowing about it. It's not kind of understanding stuff because I've been to a lecture or I've read a book or something. No, because Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. It's a person. Truth is a person. So coming to a knowledge of the truth is knowing Jesus personally. If you like being a friend with Jesus. Which contrasts with the people who are having saying, well, it's all about this special knowledge, which is just a, a very particular knowledge and understanding of, of, of life and uh, access to this wonderful salvation. No, it's just simply knowing a person. Sure, there needs to be some kind of intellectual understanding and acceptance that Jesus is God in the flesh. He died for me. He rose again. He's alive today and so on. And I want to accept for his offer of life. But the fundamental thing is when we do that, you know Jesus personally and he knows you personally. I wonder, do you know anyone famous? I mean, properly famous. I, I had to think this. I'm, I'm not sure I do, really. Um, but let's, let's make do with our bishop, shall we? Uh, he's in the, house, in the House of Lords, Bishop Martin. So does that make him famous? I don't know. But, uh, um, but, I, but for the sake of this illustration, I know Martin to a degree. He knows me to a degree. If I bump to in, into him at Port Slade Station, for instance, he, uh, he often uses a train, and he's got one of these Brompton little fold-up bike things as well. And, uh, uh, but if I bumped into him on the train... Uh, or on the station or something like that, I, I, I know he would, uh, um, he would, he would say in his, his delightfully loud, booming voice, Oh, Phil, how nice to see you, all the words to that effect. And, uh, and I'd say, Bishop Martin, um, how are you? How are you getting on? Uh, what are the things we can pray for? Whatever. You know, we'd have a chat. And over the years, as I've got to know him and he's got to know me, we have shared things with each other at quite a personal level. I won't share some things with you that he's talked to me about from his own personal life, for instance. Um, I think they're quite private, some of the things he's talked to me about. And the thing is, you see, I know him relatively, relatively okay, relatively well. He knows me relatively well. But when it comes to Christianity, Christianity is about knowing Jesus and is about knowing Jesus my saviour and it's about getting to know him better and better day by day. And on his part... He knows there everything there is to know about me and more. And it's a personal relationship, a personal friendship with him, which on our part meant to grow and develop and mature 
day by day by day by day. That is what it's like knowing Jesus, the truth. It's a personal relationship. So knowing God personally, but also it's about knowing God's methods. Just very briefly. These four verses, from verses 1 to 4 here, uh, are about how God saves people. It's, it's not, not, uh, not specifically the gospel of Jesus dying for us and being raised again from the dead, but how the gospel is made available. And it's saying, look, God wants everyone saved. So therefore, what, what does he do? He gets people praying, gets Christian people praying. And he gets Christian people telling their story and Christian people telling his story. This year, 2021, is the centenary of the last revival on the mainland of the UK. It happened in Lowestoft, where I was the vicar of Britain's most easterly church for 10 years before we came here. And when we first arrived in Lowestoft, there were some fairly elderly members of our church family who could still remember 1921. And they would tell extraordinary stories of uh, Lowestoft is divided by uh, uh, um, north and south by the, the river that goes out, uh, Lake Loathing it's called. And there's a bridge dividing north and south. The bridge is the focal point of the town. And these folks would, would, would tell of people who, just on an ordinary sunny day like today, and they'd be walking across the bridge in the middle of the day, and then they'd suddenly drop on their knees and cry out to God for mercy. And there were so many people became Christians at that time. And there were so many little churches started around Lowestoft at that time. The Lowestoft Convention began as a result of that revival and is still going today. It's called Lowestoft Living Word today and so on. It was an extraordinary time. And you know what? A group of people have been praying for exactly that, consistently, dedicated, committed, praying that God would pour out his mercy on the town. And in 1921, he did. Their little fishing port, a place of great glory. As John Stott has uh, written in his commentary on this passage, the truth is, that God loves the whole world and desires all people to be saved and so commands us to preach the gospel to all the nations and to pray for their conversion and so for us pray for everyone you can because God wants everyone to be saved